Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. center it sounds very huge and elevated and that's what it feels like like once you're working there because rent is about much more than just friendship love and musical theater it was about something that shook musical theater people are Welcome to our season premiere. It's Broadway Bullet Volume 201, and I'm your host, Michael Gilbo. And wow, as they say, what a long, strange trip it has been over this break. I'll get into that a little later, but we got lots of great stuff to kick you off. Uh, We've got an interview with the writers of The Blue Flower opening off Broadway, as well as some songs from that. We have got the Triple Threat rep being uh, presented by Eat Theater. We got the three bad boys of Triple Threat, uh, three actors here to talk about the various shows and various things relating to the industry. If you're an actor, definitely a lot of stuff worth uh, catching up on there. Marty Cooper is back. Everybody uh, shout out a cheer uh, to give us his take on the rest of the season coming up in On the Positive Side. We're going to get up close, something we haven't done before. If you're a student, if you're looking at uh, maybe where to go in the fall or looking at a change of pace, we get in-depth with some of the people with the Steinhardt School of Vocal Performance. And we also talk about their performance of Floyd Collins coming up and hear a performance from their students from that show. Um, And then as a wrap-up to the whole episode, we got (laughs) something you're not going to hear anywhere else. We've got 25 minutes of music footage from... Passing Strange, the new Broadway show that's opening end of February. 25 minutes of music taken from an open rehearsal. You're going to love it. That's wrapping up the program. A couple things. Um, I'm doing this a little bit different. I think there was a lot of confusion about how to get Act 2 on the program. So I'm going to experiment with just making it one big, long program. Hopefully that'll be easier for everybody. Uh, It shouldn't be too difficult. iTunes and the iPod remember where you're listening. So if you don't listen to it all at once and you come back to it, it'll pick up where you left off, so that ought to make things easier. Uh, The only thing that might be hard is I always tried to keep it under 80 minutes in case there was people out there burning CDs to listen to the program. But I think even if you burn it in iTunes, it'll break it up for you. Um, In any case, I welcome your feedback to see if this is a little bit easier. Uh, Email me at mgilbo at broadwaybullet.com about this or about anything else. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, The episode's not quite as long as I normally maybe would have expected it for a double episode as we had an interview that had to back out last second. But uh, it's still a pretty healthy program and lots of great stuff. On another note, just uh, personally, I finished the second draft and all the music for uh, the musical Cupid, which we're going to be filming for YouTube. Um, Got a lot of great people, uh, possibilities for auditions. The final callbacks are going to be on the 12th of February. So uh, if you're possibly interested in auditioning, uh, you got... Just you got to act fast. Email me at mgilbo at broadwaybullet.com. Uh, at this late stage, please, uh, if you can, send a digital headshot 
and uh, what role you'd kind of be looking at as well as your vocal range. Uh, you can find a breakdown of the characters at michaelgilbo.com. And, uh, yeah, it's looking good. We've got Wendy Seib on board choreographing. Uh, very excited. Uh, she's been interviewed a couple times in this program, and as far as I'm concerned, she is the absolute best up-and-coming choreographer in the city. So uh, the credentials are, are popping up and getting good. Got a fantastic costumer on board. Uh, we're psyched. It's going into uh, rehearsals in March and production filming in April. So um, we'll definitely be keeping you abreast and informed and getting some behind-the-scenes footage and uh, interviews with stuff going on and in the future on Broadway Bullet with that. But enough of my yammering. Let's get on with the program. On the boards. The Battle of Verdun in World War I is kind of the backdrop which allows a unique uh, multimedia theatrical piece called The Blue Flower to unfold, which will be playing at the Prospect Theatre Company. Uh, this is a really eclectic mix of uh, music and multimedia and theater, and uh, I, I haven't seen it yet because it hasn't opened, so probably the best people to explain it are the creators who are here in the studio. Jim Bauer, who did music, lyrics, and uh, numerous other genre-bending titles of the production, as well as, I'm going to guess, is this, is this your wife? It is. Ruth Bauer, who did the story art, art direction, and all also, again, numerous title-bending duties in the creation <laughs> of the Blue Flowers. How are you guys doing? Great. Good. How are you? Well, well, first off, I guess the, the first question we should answer for everybody is, uh, what is the Blue Flower? What is this as a theatrical piece, a theatrical experience? It's a part music concert, part silent film, part ballet. Uh, the director sort of thinks of it as an opera. Um, uh, it was never really intended to be music theater per se, but that's what it is. I mean, it's a story, it's and it's told through music. So, oh, yes. Yeah, so then there's all different ways of musical theater mm -hmm. <laughs> exploring the thing. So I understand your background, um, Jim, is pretty much straight up as a musician and mm -hmm. a composer mm -hmm. with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what is a little of the work you've done there, and, and what prompted your transition into trying to do some uh, theater? Well, I've, I've always been in, in bands writing uh, songs and performing, and uh, to make money, I've written a lot of music for film and television, underscoring drama, underscoring narrative, and combining music and narrative in some interesting fashion has always been of interest to me. So we, uh, I got interested in the music of the Weimar period, the mixture of dark and light and um, foreboding and playfulness and all that, and started experimenting with it. And then Ruth and I began looking at the time period and digging into it and discovering all sorts of interesting things and discovering these characters, these artists who eagerly went off to war in World War I trying to figure that out and what it was all about and we, we ended up with characters and, and just it, it intrigued us the idea of making a song cycle um, a loose a very loose song cycle about these characters and about the time period and how how peculiar it was and more of the feeling about it than anything specific but we always wanted it to be with the backdrop of films not not lava lamps and swirling colors and, <laughs> and something just completely abstract, but something actually much more specific than that. And Ruth is an artist and visual artist and looks at film as being sort of like ultimate painting. And so we just got the idea of doing this whole very moody, 
theatrical, dramatic uh, music performance thing. And um, that's, that's the way it started back in about 1999, 2000. So, Ruth, were you kind of involved with Jim on this right away from the beginning, or was this something that you, like, kind of, that he developed and you came in and go, you know, this is something I, I could get involved with, too? Yeah, I think that's an interesting part of the project is that it grew organically. It, it all began with the music, but then we moved between music and visuals and some narrative and writing, and, and so it all it, it kind of grew together that way. It wasn't uh, the visuals and story were an afterthought, so all the way through we kind of were working together. Now, have you been able to collaborate before this on other projects, or is, is this kind of She's- like... Ruth has always been my best music critic, and I've always tried to be her art critic. That's right. But, but we haven't actually... No, this is the first time we've actually made something... Made something together. together. ...and tried to put our particular talents together in some way. Did that flow smoothly, or were there, like, road bumps and figures? <laughs> <laughs> there were definitely some road bumps. Um, I mean, it's good that we each had our own area of expertise. Did somebody say, I'm not making dinner if this doesn't... That's <laughs> right, that's right. No, we, we had something we called the... Uh, I think we called it the cringe clause. Like, if this, do, you know, this is like this is the like the line here. No, I, you have to take this out. So, but we, no, we're, it went well. You know, we, we collaborated well, and it was a long, long mostly run. mostly because Ruth is really patient, and, <laughs> and I'm not. I mean, so, so um, but but yeah, there are, there are arguments back and forth and disagreements about things. But but you know, we've been married now for. Uh, 20, <laughs> years. 28 years. 28 years. 28 Long enough to forget, yeah. So, you know, we've obviously worked out a lot of those things anyway. So. Anyway, it's artistic differences, not, it's not personal, you know. It's, it's about the art, <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe let's take a second here and listen to one of the songs from the show okay. and, the, and the CD. Do you want to, is there any setup around this or how this movie kind of fits into the... Sure, I, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, I, You want me? Uh, it's the Eiffel Tower, is that what you're going to play? Yeah. This is uh, after the war. Uh, one of the main characters, Franz, um, uh, has died at the Battle of Verdun, and his lover, Maria, uh, has walked to the top of the Eiffel Tower and uh, back in Paris. Um, and this is something they had met in, in Paris before the war. And they'd always talked about climbing to the top of the Eiffel Tower, but never had. So now Franz is dead, and Maria has climbed up to the top of the Eiffel Tower to um, honor him. All right, let's take a listen. Stay with 
like no other I climbed the Eiffel Tower And saw the rooftops from the angels' view Now things will never, will never be the same They will never, will never be the same It took me by surprise The shocking newness of my seeing To find the round earth flat and crossed by lines I thought of you in Paris I remembered us together I thought of all the things I should have said Now things will never, will never be the same They will never, will never be the same We took a plunge in the river and floated away Tangled ourselves up in pleasure and lived day to day Let the world fall all around us and always be I climbed the Eiffel Tower And when I closed my eyes I thought of you I imagined you in Paris I remembered you there sleeping I felt your quiet hand still held in Now that isn't from the cast recording. That's from the the Jim Vimar Weimar band. The Weimar Weimar band. <laughs> yeah, and that's Jen Chapin singing. She uh, she was oh, we, she's a musician and we played uh, Jen Chapin on uh, Next Big Hit before. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's uh, she's one of the original she's members of the Weimar band. She's going to be joining us uh, Tuesday night, tomorrow night, on the at the reunion concert. Yeah, she sort of she was our first Maria. Mm-hmm. Uh, musician, we were all musicians. Just uh, well, not I have no Megan McGarry, who was in the original cast, who was or Weimar Band thing was is an actor. It comes from the theater world, but everybody else was musicians. Now, b- before we actually started this interview, you were describing this as kind of like a, a silent movie with music visuals, or I, I forget the wording that you used. But um, so I'm curious what what the actors or the performers or or, or, or what you call them in this production, kind of what their input is and and how that kind of aspect looks on stage. Well, they, there's films. They're, they're sort of a fairy tale of the stories told almost as a fairy tale and as a silent film, where there's narration and title cards, 
and uh, the actors almost it's almost like they step out of the film so you know you've got the projections the film going and it's as if those are coming to life in front of you and so you're introduced to Franz and then Franz steps forward onto the stage or, or the different characters so there's a lot of movement and film and then there's you know singing so that it's it's very active I mean on the stage it's very engaging performance it sort of swirls. It, it moves. Uh, Will Pomerantz, who's directing, is, is a wonderful choreographer. choreographer. So it's so it's more like choreography and the movement and the speaking and the, how it moves along with the film and all of that stuff. And it swirls and it swirls and it swirls and then it stops for certain music moments when it's just it all becomes still and and it all it's all about then the song and the music and what's mm-hmm. communicated there. Um, and then it starts picking up again and moving mm-hmm. again and, and all that stuff. Um, Jimmy, you mentioned you've done some scoring for films, mm-hmm. and uh, any, anything we might have might have heard of that? Oh, Lodge Carrigan films. The, uh, Keen was his last movie that was here in the New York Film Festival and stuff. But no, mostly it's just like cable TV and VH1 and MTV <laughs> and <the> Biography <laughs> Channel. Behind the music, <laughs> yeah. so they, they probably have heard a lot of your work. Well, probably. <laughs> no, I used to do a lot of behind the music stuff. So you know. I'm, millions of people have heard my scores. <laughs> <laughs> With behind the music, did the producers ever say, "Okay, we need new music to illustrate their drug addiction"? Uh, yeah. We need new drug addiction. Yeah, music. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is not saying cocaine to me. No, no I'm not, I'm not here. I'm not feeling it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty silly. Remember, but uh, paid some bills and yeah. and uh, and it's and it's an interesting challenge. You take a really boring TV program <laughs> and try to make something, you know, give it a little life and it really does the music often does you know make make a big difference in these programs oh, oh definitely i think I, I think it's very underrated in yeah. terms of what it actually does you yeah. strip it out and yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of these things are very boring or you don't get a sense of mood at all sometimes yeah. without yeah. the music so another thing i loved about lodge carrigan films is that they he has almost no music you know so when it's picked it's just for a very specific purpose you know and it's only there it's never there to sort of make people feel anything in particular it's just it's there for some dramatic purpose only and he has hardly any at all so it was it was great working with him and uh Ruth, what, what is some of your past work that you've done before getting together with this? Well, I, you know, I'm actually trained as a painter. You know, I've got a Bachelor of Fine Arts, so I spend lots of time in my studio painting. I've done book jackets. I've also been interested in narrative. A lot of my, my paintings are inspired by writers. I did a whole long series of paintings about the work of Emily Dickinson. And I've done a lot of book jackets. So, again, you know, I'm working with the idea of putting images to narrative. So it, it, it all kind of makes that sense as well. That's something that I've been preoccupied with. All right. Well, let's take a listen to one more song from the show that's coming up. Uh, any setup for this one? Yeah. You want to? Um, uh, Not a Flaw. That's what's coming up, yes. I think. Is, um, so now... Uh, the war is over. There are four main characters, and sort of four, we call them four interesting Germans in a love rectangle, is what, the, is what the basic story is. And this is the other, this is not Franz and Maria now, this is Max and Hannah. Uh, Max is the main character, and he becomes a famous artist And after the war, and uh, Franz was his best friend, and blah, blah, blah. Hannah, eventually, she's a Dada performance artist, they hook up. And the war. Dada are, performance artist. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know what that is. That's that's where you put the stuff in the bag. Isn't that where you put the? Like, yeah, the, 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 the random. Yes. Random poetry. Yes, right. And, random yeah. poetry. Mm-hmm. 
making ah, art that way. Just a theater history class. Good. Oh, hey. Off. Now I can say I know about it. No, this when is, you pass it in briefing. They yeah. met. <laughs> Hannah and Max met at the Cabaret Voltaire, which you may know. Then um, mm-hmm. Hugo Ball's, you know, the original Dada, the, the birthplace of Dada in in Zurich in uh, in World War One, nineteen sixteen. Uh, so in our story, they meet at the Cabaret Voltaire where she's performing, and, ha- and Max has joined Franz. They're on leave from the army and so on and so forth. That's where their relationship begins, Max and Hannah. But now the war is over. Franz is dead. Everybody's moved back to Berlin. Things are destroyed and a mess. Um, Hannah, Max is basically having a nervous breakdown, and Hannah is doing her best to try to keep things together. This is um, Kurt Weill, uh, wouldn't you say? So, Kurt yeah, Weill, uh, this is a quote. Yeah, it's sort of a direct quote out of Kurt Weill in this one. And, um, so this is this is, this is is the beginning. This is in Act 2 now, when things start begin to fall apart and Weimar crumbles, and you know, the world is beginning to... Max's personal world is beginning to fall apart, and so is the world around him. So this right. is not a flaw. Okay. Not a flaw. Let's take a listen. A no man's land of Weimar, of what was and what could be. Whistling past the graveyards and stuffing full what's empty. Don't you think I'm very Drinking alone, such a pity. You're losing ground. We should try fishing. Why bring us down? Why not start a living? 
others not to worry In one ear out the other It's our friends dead and buried <laughs> Playing the song, I, uh, I heard the two of you just kind of discussing amongst yourselves that you you felt you missed talking about the humor and the love <laughs> and stuff in the story. So uh, yeah, I, I just was thinking, oh, we've kind of only focused on the dark aspect. That's I, there's easy a, for us artists. I right? know the <laughs> angst, but but the there is there's humor, there's tenderness. Um, the Dada performances are very amusing. There's you know, there's there's playful. a lot to. They're playful. There's fanciful. The films are are, are playful and fanciful as well. So there's a lot to see. Yeah, I mean, it, the, it's definitely a tragedy, and it's you know, it's uh, but there's a huge amount of tenderness in it too. I mean, the whole point is to uh, understand that that tenderness is is the these are terrible things that they live through and that they're facing. And Max is the guy who figures out. Wow, we have to. We have to go someplace better than this. And where do we? Where do we? How do we get there? You know, that's the whole. So there's, there's a great deal of emotion in it. It's very tender and and playful. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, you can't. It's like a rock band that starts it starts out at eleven, has no place to go. <laughs> so it's, it's very not. It's very. It's not loud very quickly. It's just mm-hmm. you know. It's just punishing. And mm-hmm. um, if it was just dark, 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 you know, the darkness would lose its. Right. You know, Impact. So, anyway. Matt, I understand this uh, was first mounted with the first year of the New York Musical Theater Festival. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We cover them, so we always like to hear success stories coming out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a big deal. The first year, their inaugural year, 2004. Yeah. We had a good run there. That was the first time we had a chance to really put the whole thing together uh, in a in the full in its full form with the video, with a professional uh, cast. And all that stuff. We did it. We produced it on our own, and and um, you know, had very limited resources, and uh, six performances, and uh, in repertoire or whatever. So you're moving in and out of theater every time, and so a lot of restrictions and and uh, limitations. But um, uh, there were full, you know, sold out crowds every night, and and it was the first chance we really got a chance to get people's reaction to it from a, from a variety of you know of audience, of audience members and stuff. <coughs> They were very gratified by the response we got. And now we got the Prospect Theaters mounting it. Yes, that's so exciting because we, we've been um, kind of a mom-and-pop operation, literally, where you know, I've been making costumes and, you know, we're just doing, like, wearing so many different hats. And so to have Prospect take it on and uh, to be in a sighted in a theater for the full run and not in a festival mode, I mean, it's it's incredible. I think we're... we're I feel we feel like the show is going to really uh, be expanding. From I mean, just the production itself is going to be much more exciting to see in this stat- setting. So for the Blue Flower, it's playing February second through March second, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. And uh, people can f- go get more information, find tickets and stuff by visiting www.prospecttheater.org. 
And uh, I thank you so much, Jim Bauer and Ruth Bauer, for coming on and, and sharing some of the music from the show and talking about your experiences and everything, putting it together. It's, it's been a lot of fun, and I wish you the best of luck with your run. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. The Call Board. Edward Albee, set to direct Edward Albee at the Cherry Lane Theater. Award-winning playwright Edward Albee will direct two of his early one-acts, The Sandbox and American Dream, off-Broadway at the Cherry Lane Theater. The shows will run March 11th through April 19th with an official opening on March 25th. Both productions will feature Judith Ivey, George Bartonief, Kathleen Butler, Harmon Walsh, and Jesse Williams. Lyndon Redgrave is set to star in the American premiere of Grace at the Lucille Lortel Theater off-Broadway. The show, after an accomplished run on the West End, is coming to New York on January 23rd. Redgrave returns to Broadway as a brilliant professor caught in a heated debate about the existence of God and blown away by her son's announcement to join the priesthood. Also, Shoot the Messenger, that uh, wacky, irreverent live morning show that takes place at night. You know, we interviewed uh, the creators a couple episodes back. They're looking for volunteers to help on their own blooming production. They're looking for help on the stage production, audio, video, as well as scheduling. There is no pay for this, but Liz Winstead is hopeful that the show will be picked up and turned into a real TV show. To apply, send an email to DarbyDWorley at DarbyW at gmail.com. That's D-A-R-B-I-W at gmail.com. And when they say they hope it's going to be a real TV show, if you listen to the interview, you should know Liz Winstead's created quite a few shows out there. Also, Piaf, the musical about uh, Edith Piaf that we featured uh, original music from back in our Fringe special this year, just keeps going, going, and going. It's been extended again, so get out and see it. Uh, I'm sure you'll have a good time if you enjoy Edith Piaf. And uh, check out the special on the Fringe if you'd like to hear the songs in that. And uh, the call board is sponsored by uh, myself, my recording studio. Got a studio right here in the heart of Times Square. Reasonable rates. We do all different types of productions. Uh, give me a call at 646-345-3433 or email me at mgilbo at broadwaybullet.com if you'd like a little more information. Also, if you're looking to buy, sell, or rent an apartment in New York City, uh, my business partner, David Shapiro, definitely can help you out. Just give him a call at 646-920-3402. Tell him uh, you heard about him through Broadway Bullet, and trust me, he's going to be <laughs> possibly the only honest real estate agent you uh, find in New York, on, and he'll take care of you. In the best of company. If you live on the east side of New York City, rejoice. There's actually some theater coming over there. There's the Emerging Artist Triple Threat, which is three shows being presented in repertoire. Uh, and uh, that's at the Eat Theater. We've got the three bad boys of Triple Threat, as I've been told, <laughs> at the VR, here to kind of talk about the whole festival and their shows. Um, we have got Chuck Sakula, Dan M. Boyer, and Stephen Sherman, because we've got three guys. Also, why don't you each introduce yourselves by name so that they can connect the voice with the name and say what your show you're in. Uh, my name is Chuck Sakula. I play Duncan in Sisters Dance. I'm Dan Boyer, and I play Kid Swagger in the play about the naked guy. The naked guy. Naked guy. Uh, I'm Stephen Sherman. I play Dallas Hitchens in Claymont by Kevin Brofsky. All right. So have you got your elevator pitches down on what you tell your friends when you're in your show? You want to each kind of give a, like a 30-second a quick rundown of each of your shows? Uh, well, um, Sister's Dance is about a story of betrayal and seduction. I play the hustler boyfriend, and I was telling people, <clears throat> it's a play I finally don't have to take my clothes off, but now I have to take my shirt off. 
because um, I'm, I'm a dancer. I was a dancer, come from a dance background, and now I'm moving to the acting and becoming the thespian. Um, but it's a story of seduction of two sisters, and uh, I follow my girlfriend home to cause a little trouble amongst the sisters. And then uh, that's where I'll leave it. I make the sisters dance, if you will. <laughs> if you will. So from somebody who thought he wasn't going to have to take his clothes off to somebody who has to. That's me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm in the play about the naked guy, which is about um, an off-off Broadway struggling theater company. And um, there's... Ooh, how meta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's about three uh, really passionate members to that company. But unfortunately, like many off-Broadway off companies, and even off-Broadway companies these days, they're having um, real financial difficulties and are trying to figure out a way to stay open and um, get some butts in the seats. Are, are we reading the Times... The New York Times? Is, is this an article on the state of Jesus? <laughs> you would think so, right? <laughs> so that's where I come into the picture. So uh, lots of conflict ensues when a porn star enters the, the picture to heat things up, as it were, in that little company. All right. Uh, Claymont uh, takes place in Claymont, Delaware, which is right on the border of Delaware and Pennsylvania, in 1969 during the war. I play a guy who gets kicked out of Temple University for leading war protests and uh, can't move home because his father is uh, a big-time war veteran and I uh, come from a long line of, uh, of men in my family who were, uh, were soldiers. And uh, my dad won't let me move home. So my mother comes up with a brilliant idea for me to live with the neighbors next door. And... Uh, the, uh, everything ensues from there. Mainly the play focuses on a character named Neil, who's in high school, uh, that kind of looks up to my character. And uh, he's working on an art project. He's an artist. And, um, yeah, the plot just kind of unfolds from there with me living in the house and me being worried about being drafted and what I'm going to do. All right, I, gotta, I guess I'm going I'm to angle a little bit. This is a different place since we're doing a, a show. Everybody here is equity, right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. And this mm -hmm. is, is this done under the showcase code? The transition. The, the transition code? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because um, I, I, I know that there's an organization, the NYIT Awards, who's trying to do you know some, some transition. So I'm kind of curious, in addition to talking about the play, maybe kind of getting your thoughts as actors on, on some of the things. I, I know one of the biggies that they're looking for is a more flexible rehearsal schedule. I'm just kind of curious on, um, from your angle, if you think that, as you know, members of Equity, if you think that's something good, would you like to have more flexibility and not have to do four consecutive weeks? Or or not? Anybody? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Things that make you go, hmm. And not just based on this show, but based on your other experiences, other shows you've done. Do you find it a creative liability, or, or do you find it's, it really helps keep them from taking advantage of you? Um, I, I think it really plays on on the f the finances. To tell you the truth, if you're if uh, you want to be able to do good theater and, and all the, a lot of these uh, new theaters that are coming up, there's not like you said, uh, Danny. They, there's not a lot of money behind it, so there's not a lot of money to give the actors. So you cannot uh, in a real world you want to be an actor and just have one job and live off that. 
but the reality is you live in New York City and you don't. <laughs> so you have to make ends meet. And, uh, you know, even, you know, unemployment is 405 a week, you know, and sometimes the theaters don't offer that much. So you have to uh, make ends meet any way you can. So you, you, flexibility is great, you know, uh, but I think mostly at night, to rehearse at night, when you have a, a, a salary that's lower than um, unemployment, you, you need the flexibility and so you're able to work during the day and then have your theater at night. Uh, it's kind of like a dinner theater, if you will. Uh, <laughs> Back in the day, you would well, I, I think that's part of the reason why they're asking for more flexibility is so that rather than having to make actors on a very skimpy salary work, you know, a 35, 40 hour week or whatever in rehearsals, that they could spread it out over like six or seven weeks and make it maybe, you know, 15, 20 hours a week. And, uh, well, there's a great advantage to having as many weeks as possible for insurance coverage. I mean, I'm not an actor that needs a lot of time to rehearse. But I'd love to have as many weeks as possible. I mean, I agree with everything, with everything that Chuck is saying, although I am actually one of those actors that would prefer to rehearse during the day because I have often worked in the restaurant industry and would rather have my nights so I could, you know, work at night. But, yeah, the money is... I mean, the transitional contract is great. It's a huge opportunity for emerging artists because we're trying to bust through that ceiling and become on a level with other off-Broadway companies. And this transitional contract allows us to do that. We're in our second year of three years, so... And I'm just happy to have this this many <laughs> weeks of rehearsal. I mean, yeah. from the, some of the other shows I've done lately, it's been seven days, you know, ten <laughs> days, you know, go. So it's nice to have it kind of spread out over a few weeks, you know. I mean, I kind of like to work that way a little bit, you know, have a little time off to think and a little time on to rehearse and spread so it's not just so fast you're scurrying around just trying not to bump into people and things. So it's <laughs> a good point. Just out of curiosity, how often have you felt, um, you know, some of the in various shows you've done in the past? And you don't have to name names; I'm sure you wouldn't want to. But how often have you felt that you've gotten producers who have either taken advantage of you, you know, time-wise and what they expect out of you, or wanted to kind of take advantage of you, time-wise? Something that you felt was unreasonable. How often does it even happen that they really are asking for something that that isn't in your interests? Hmm. Mm. Again, things that make you go, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> time-wise, meaning well, that they would stretch it out or that it would be or, very or, short? Or that they're sending you on way too many interviews or they're, like, sneaking some internet video out there that you don't want. Yeah. Or, or, you know, just some of the things that, that, help, that they feel help that promote. How, how often are they asking for something that you don't feel is in your interest and that you really don't want to give the time and that you've, you've felt uncomfortable in a position saying yes or no? Well, uh, honestly, I, I haven't felt that uh, in, my, in my experience. Um, everything that I've wanted to do, uh, I've done. They've asked me, and I've had the option. I guess I've been lucky in that uh, retrospect. But um, it's more its more the uh, benefit side. You know, when you offer your services to do a benefit, that's when you feel taken advantage of. But it's <laughs> But you want to do it but you're putting a lot more time into a benefit than you are an actual paid salary, I think. Yeah, I'm an actor. I'm worth, you know, thousands to a dozen. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, I don't think too much about it. It's I'm usually, like, especially, you know, say in this case, just really 
grateful to be getting to do such a great role. So, yeah, any any you know time requests are generally reasonable. I mean, I'm already working on the naked. So at this point, I mean, what more can I do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess the only time I ever felt like that. I'm not in New York, but in another company, um, it was outside of here. But it was. A, a, a smaller company too but they were really passionate about the play and you know I was like coming from New York to do this play and I was only one of like two or three New York actors so it was kind of like an opportunity for them to promote their company and say you know there's a big New York actor I mean not really at all you know but they just like to kind of say New York to get some publicity so but no I agree with the other guys you know it's something you like to do and you do it and you help out a company or I mean, however you can. Well, I'll get off all the, the business stuff, but uh, <laughs> I, it is something I'm investigating because I do find that, especially for the smaller shows, a lot of the producers have their their hands tied in terms of how they can promote, you know, in, in this day and age. And I actually, I personally think that it is against odds that, that your job when you're doing emerging shows is you do actually want as many people to see you and and, yeah. and, get, and, and find out about you as possible. So um, hopefully we'll, we'll maybe get equity to see the same way. <laughs> yeah, will, you know, and if I could say about, I mean, in this case, specifically with emerging artists, I think that that's what makes them apart from a lot of other companies. It's a very friendly environment and very to not sound cliche, supportive, and I mean, I just, I don't think I would be a member of any company that would have me as a member, so to speak, but um, yeah, this company is very, you know, you get out what you put in, and it, you're always welcome to be involved as much or as little as you want to, so it's not like I don't ever feel like, you know, it's, it's up to me, I never feel any pressure either way. Okay, we're going to jump on e-biography. What is all three of yours early story in a nutshell? What have you done? What's your drug addictions? <laughs> <laughs> we have to keep it clean. Uh, um, no, me, I, I start off in the dance field. And uh, I, say your names again, just Chuck, to remind this people is as you go. Chuck Sakula. Um, so cool. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I bet the kids had fun with that. Oh, yeah. Or Sakala rhymes with Dracula. <laughs> yeah. um, I come from the dance world, and uh, as I've reached my um, age that a dancer lets go of the dance shoes and moves into the actor you can't world. can't do the full splits anymore? No, I, well, I never could. <laughs> <laughs> I sold it with style <laughs> instead of the, the theatrics. Um, uh, I started off as a dancer. I, I did, uh, and this is a funny story Danny told me. Um, I toured with Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dream Quote with Donny Osmond 13 years ago. <laughs> and Danny says to me, as he walked in the door, he's like, oh, I know you. And my eyes were like, I don't know you. Like, I was in the children's choir of Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dream Code in Detroit 13 years ago. So that was 13 years ago, so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm much older than he is. <laughs> <laughs> you don't look it. Well, thank you. Um, Danny's looking haggard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. no. <laughs> um, so I, I've been moving out of the dance world and doing all the, the, the actory things. And one of the one things I wanted to do was get an off-Broadway play and emerging artists granted me that wish on New Year's Day, actually. Mm. I auditioned New Year's Eve. Got it. New Year's Day. Nice. Who has auditions on New Year's Eve? Uh, emerging <laughs> artists. Emerging artists. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'll tell you, I was... Um, I was really hung over <laughs> on New Year's Day, and um, our director Paul Adams kept saying, uh, "Called me at 11, 
didn't answer. Called me at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, didn't answer. I didn't give him a call back until almost 6 o'clock because I was hungover. Way to hold him off. That's <laughs> good. Exactly. <laughs> but it was a good way to start a year. Next. Oh. I think I'll, I'll Danny, it's, uh, uh, Danny, this right? Is, yeah. Danny Boyer. Yep, that's me. Um, so, yeah, I guess I started, I was like 11 when I did Joseph <laughs> with Chuck <laughs> a long time ago. Um, not really a long time ago. Recently, um, did Donnie Osmond take advantage of you? <laughs> <laughs> no. Ooh, there's some Utah people that are like, wow. <laughs> no, no, no. He's I've, I've never done a production of Joseph or yeah. on the subject. Never. <laughs> Good music, but Marie, on the other hand, yeah. yeah. I'm kidding. I remember some interesting visits from family members. That's all I can remember. Anyway, um, so I started when I was really young. I actually did my first professional show when I was like eight as an actor um, and then I did some shows in Detroit and stuff where I'm from and then I went to study at Interlochen Arts Academy a boarding arts high school if anyone else is did you know Eminem personally? Eminem? actually <laughs> I have connections to many of Detroit's musical, music people um, my I have a friend who Eminem um, used to sleep on her couch growing up um, before he ever made it and stuff he kind of couched it for a while with her so uh. And my, my sister used to date Madonna's brother. Right. So, Name lots of connections, right? <laughs> right. That's what you get for living in Detroit. Yeah, I'm going to have to vacuum after Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. So, yeah. Um, I just arrived in New York, like, uh, almost a year and a half ago. And I graduated from Carnegie Mellon. Where I studied acting and musical theater. Wow. So now I'm here. Big time. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm the, Stephen Sherman. I'm the scrappy one of the bunch. I was never intended on becoming an actor. I uh, I was starting my fourth high school, moving around a lot, my junior year, and my stepsister said, hey, if you want to make friends with the cool kids, you better audition for the musical. And I was like, music? What? I don't sing. And uh, we were doing West Side Story, and uh, I got cast in two roles, and... And loved it. I always, you know, was very happy in school, but had never found anything that I wanted to do. And by the end of that first year, I'd worked professionally. And, and well, that always uh, happens. I don't sing, then Oscar nomination. Yeah, <laughs> apparently that's you don't have to do anything. You just do one movie, and next thing you know, you're. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it, I just I pretty much had decided from there that I was moving to New York after school, and uh, and I've been just pursuing it ever since. I've always kind of taken the angle that. Uh, you know, I just I really want this to be just my career, how I earn a living, how I support a family. That's why it seems you know crazy at these uh, at these rates, but but it's, yeah, that's that's my goal. So, out of the three of you, what have been your craziest uh, day jobs or money makers that you've had to make to support yourself on the side? Anything really outrageous? Anything odd? Yes, um, I lived in LA for five years and. Um, when I first got out there, uh, George of the Jungle was coming out with Brendan Fraser. And, uh, I'm scared I, of where this is going. <laughs> yeah, you should be. Um, I, <clears throat> they have a big billboard on the corner of Sunset uh, and Crescent Heights uh, across from there's a, a Virgin record store. But right below, <clears throat> they had the big billboard of George of the Jungle. And there were 10 of us dressed up as monkeys. Um, hopping around, you know, wow. ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, yeah, for about two hours, and it was about eighty degrees out, and I made three hundred bucks. <laughs> hey, well, yeah, great. I just I just okay. went from the the tour of Joseph 
you know, <laughs> Donny Osmond, and then I go to being a monkey for uh, George of the Jungle yeah. out in the public for two hours. Wow. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> <laughs> Any other odd jobs among you? Hmm. N- nothing that exciting. No. I wasn't a monkey. Thank God they couldn't see who we were. I mean, we were full on monkey outfits with a mask, everything. So, um, question I'm sure if any girls or the gay guys listening or, you know, could see you, Danny, they're, they're going to be asking, are you really naked? Oh, well, I don't know if I want to give that away. <laughs> hmm, come see it for the play is what I'll say. It's it's very funny, and um, yeah, it's a really good play. David, yeah, David Bell's great playwright. It's really yeah, funny. it's it's a lot of fun. So there may be a little nudity, there may not. <laughs> um, but it is called the play about the naked guy. And you play a porn guy. That's got yeah. a lot to live up to. Yeah. It is. <laughs> There's a lot to live up to, but you know. <laughs> yeah. So now the the whole festival here, or festival Triple Threat, uh, starts February fourth and runs through March second. That correct? That's correct. Yep. And um, so, what theater is this at? I know it's on the east side. It's at the Baruch College. They have a space there in Brewer College. I've never been there. Yeah, it's a performing arts center, uh, 99-seat house. Uh, really huge space, really great space. I think it's probably one of the best spaces Emerging Artist has ever been in. Really big space at 25th Street. Lexington. Lexington. Yeah, so for all those Eastsiders who hate always having to take the L or the <laughs> cross, cross town bus to get to right. theater. If you want to go to Home there. Depot, it's right there. Yeah. <laughs> Home Depot and Theater. And you, nice. everybody can find out the specific schedules at uh, www.eattheater.org. Mm-hmm. Um, the three shows Sisters Dance, Play About the Naked Guy, Claymont, uh, going on here. Um, maybe to kind of wrap up, uh, w- maybe each of you can name one dream uh, director, actor, somebody you'd like to work with. Um, Make your plea. Maybe, maybe they're listening. Maybe they're, <laughs> maybe their publicist is listening. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, you know all of them. You know the the. the you gotta pick one. Uh, one of them. <laughs> uh, you know I'm I'm uh, I'm hooked on my new favorite. My new favorite actors are um, uh, in film wise uh, James McAvoy, Amy Adams, and Kate Blanchett. Right now, they're all just rocking my world. Mm. And to work with either. One of them is great, and you know, I'll take any big name director. <laughs> you know, Scorsese, any of them, any of them. Um, but I, yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, um, I've had, uh, I've I've really grown fond of Weeds, um, the show, and um, I was just thinking of it because I just actually. Mary Louise Parker, I guess, is rehearsing for something. She's rehearsing for, oh gosh, what's it called? Um, Dead Man's Cell Phone at Playwrights. And I just saw her down the street the other day. And I just, so I'm just, she's on my mind, I guess. Um, but I really love her work. Um, and most everything I've seen her done is really unique and interesting. So I'd say I'd love to 
work with Mary Louise. <laughs> All right. Um, my answer would be Francis Ford Coppola. I'm a huge fan. I met him once very briefly when he was trying to put uh, the Jack Kerouac on the road together, and it was never produced. But really, 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 really intelligent man. Um, and you know, and he's often given. I think you know he's scrutinized a lot more than say Scorsese or, or Oliver Stone for his style because he really struggles when he when he puts something together. But um, I just think he's brilliant. So. All right. So Chuck's so cool from <laughs> 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 Sisters Dance, uh, Dan and Boyer from uh, Play About the Naked Guy, and Stephen Sherman from Claymont. I thank you guys so much for taking time out of your schedule and letting the producers take advantage of you. No, Absolutely. You. That's what we're here for. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. On the positive side. Hey, this is Marty Cooper once again on the positive side, and I'm so glad to be back. I uh, injured myself. I had a uh, uh, ruptured or a torn quadricep. Uh, very painful. Almost went crazy, lying in bed for six weeks. But I'm back. A few of the things I was thinking about lying in bed, you know, uh, worrying about uh, when I when I finally got out of bed, will there be any theater for me to see as the stagehands went on strike about three days after I was hurt? I thought about a couple of things. You know, I, I was speaking to Michael uh, shortly before the strike, and uh, he was a bit against the union and what they were asking for, and we were kind of arguing about it, me being a uh, an employee, a union employee, and uh, of course disagreeing on many points. But lying down thinking about it, I hated both sides, I gotta tell you. Did anyone think of the businesses they were hurting in the area? Did anyone think of the of the waiters that work in restaurants that might be laid off, or the people that work in the uh, in the box offices, or the ushers that work in the theater, did anybody think about that? I know I know there was a cause, and it's, that's all well and good, but to open up Playbill.com in the morning and and read uh, talks break off, no new talk schedule. I got to say, and now with the writer's strike going on in Hollywood. Just stay in a room and lock yourself in there, bring in food, and stay there until you've come to a settlement. It's okay if you're having a problem, if the producers are having a problem, if the stagehand's having a problem. Hey, these people are both rich fractions. The stagehands make a lot of money for doing what they do. Uh, producers make a lot of money for doing what they do. They're not as worried about money and how they're going to get their next meal as the people they're affecting. Just stay in a room and settle the damn thing. And I must say this about the writers. I read the other day, uh, Glenn Close was saying, you know, she'd never cross a picket line, but this is becoming unproductive. And it certainly is. I mean, it's going to once again keep a lot of people that can't afford to be out of work out of work. Think about people that you're affecting. And uh, glad it's over, but I was left with a lousy taste in my mouth. I was also thinking about what's going to happen the second half of the Broadway season where musicals are concerned. And uh, not a lot's going to be happening. Um, 
I'm looking forward to the revivals of South Pacific and Sunday in the Park. I think those will be the important things going on. I loved In the Heights Off-Broadway, but I must say it's going to be a hard sell unless it really comes, unless the critics really come up with great reviews and people just think they've got to go see it. It got good reviews Off-Broadway. I'm not sure how people will look at it in a 13-seat house. I wish it luck. I hope it does well. I enjoyed it, and I know I'll enjoy it on Broadway. Another show opening is uh, The Cated Affair with Faith Prince. I, saw, I actually saw the movie when I was about 12 years old. 1956, uh, it Ernest Borgnine and Betty Davis, Debbie Reynolds, uh, Rod, Rod Taylor, and it's about a young couple living in the Bronx trying to plan a wedding, and they don't know whether to elope or not, but the mother, played by Betty Davis in the movie, Faith Prince in the show, has got to have a big catered affair, and uh, this affects a lot of people's lives. Uh, I think Leslie Kritzer is going to play the Debbie Reynolds role. Once again, I wish this luck, but it has no marquee value whatsoever. Maybe Harvey Firestein doing the book and being in the show itself. Maybe that'll help. Although I, I have a hard time uh, seeing Harvey Firestein play a part that uh, was originally played by uh, Barry Fitzgerald. He played the old uncle in the movie, and, uh, and Harvey Firestein is going to play the old uncle on stage. Unless for some reason they change the religion to from an Irish family to a Jewish family, which would seem proper, actually, for this kind of cast. I wish it luck. I love John Bacchino's work. I love Harvey Feierstein's work, and I hope it does well. But once again, it's going to have to get really great reviews, and people are going to have to say, got to go see that. One more, uh, we're going to finally see the musical version of Cry Baby, which has gotten good reviews out of town. This might be the hit of all the new Broadway shows, uh, because people love Hairspray, and it and it might kind of carry over. Although the cast is mostly newcomers, I don't see anyone that's going to draw people into that theater, except for the title and the original writer and director of the movie, uh, John Waters. In any case, I'm glad to be back. I hope we see a good end of a Broadway season. As I say, I don't have a lot of great hope for it, but I might be wrong. Oh, I didn't mention Little Mermaid. Uh, I haven't seen that yet, but uh, and I'm going to see it because I'm a Disney person, and I'll probably love it. Just seeing that name on the marquee will probably draw people. I have a feeling it'll have a bit of a run because right now it's doing, I think, 100% every week. I did make a New, new Year's resolution this year, and it's don't fall and hurt myself ever again. Oh, Forgot to mention a couple of things. I wanted to thank everyone who wrote me with their good wishes. And if you want to write me your opinion on uh, this or any other, any other podcast in this series, uh, you can email me at broadwaymarty at aol.com. Once again, stay on the positive side. On the Positive Side is brought to you by The Colony, online at colonymusic.com or in the heart of the theater district at 49th and Broadway. You can always say... I found it at the colony. Up 
close. Well, I am sitting here with two faculty members with NYU Steinhardt, and specifically the School of Vocal Performance. And um, I invited these guys in to talk because I've seen a couple shows, actually, at uh, this program. And I, I think they do some amazing work training the actors. I think they are definitely ready to head out into the professional theater field. Uh, they got another show coming up, Floyd Collins. And I thought it was a good time to, to bring somebody in, and I wanted to clear up the... The fact that this is called vocal performance, but it's all around theater, and it's Steinhardt NYU and NYU who has their acting program, and so I thought we'd clear that all up by inviting in John Simpkins, who uh, you may remember he came in as a director on Go Go Beach, and he was on our directors panel Absolutely. last year, and uh, we've also got Grant Weenus, hi, and uh, from the program here to uh, discuss a little bit of what goes on at Steinhardt. Great. So, so what, first off, I guess, what's the confusion? Why is there two separate theater programs, essentially? Well, I, I think that, uh, I don't know that it's two separate theater programs, but there's a, there's a uh, our program is a voice-based um, music degree in the Steinhardt School, which basically means that our students are going to get a, a music, a liberal arts-based music degree that concentrates in vocal performance. Then once they choose vocal performance, they can also concentrate down from that into either classical voice or into music theater. So that's kind of where we live. Uh, I think the difference in the what most people think is music theater at NYU or what some people think is music theater at NYU is that there are several other programs, one of them through the Tisch School, one of them through the uh, College of Arts and Sciences that deal with other parts of the other different degrees. Uh, the Tisch program is a BFA. And, it's uh, actually a BFA in acting. That's right. And one of the branches of Tisch that allows you to specialize is CAP 21, where there is from the acting program and the BFA, a specialization in music theater. But ours is the right. the Bachelor of Music degree uh, in vocal performance. You know, but I, th I think the title of the program is a little misleading, at least, because I have to say, John, when you first invited me to the show and I went to go see You're in Town <laughs> and his school of vocal performance, right. <laughs> I was expecting a bunch of people who could sing, right. who couldn't really do anything else. But I saw really good actors who could dance very well, a very well-done production. The, the the production elements were sure. definitely first-rate in sure. the thing. And I, I, I was really blown away. I mean, it... it no, it's it's not an avant. I, I think a lot. And I'm gonna, I'll probably get a lot of flack on this, but I think a lot of people kind of perceive Tish as like a little avant garde. Sure. Um, and it's probably more geared towards maybe film training ultimately. Um, but what I saw in the program is a lot of students who I think are definitely ready to head out into the the stage sure, sure. world and actually not just even musical theater. I sure. Think a lot of the people can probably you know, are ready to handle a lot of work on the legit stage. Well, I, I think what we kind of believe as we look at um, prospective students for our program is that, um, that, that first there's a level of singing that you have to achieve in order to work legitimately in either classical voice or music theater. Um, in, in my particular role in the program, it's, it's just in music theater, so I can speak best about that. But uh, that is to say that you have to sing at a certain level before you should step on a stage and do a musical. So that's where we start. And then I think what's kind of unique about it, about what we do, is that we then, we then train singers to be actors. We train them to communicate through what they're trying to do as an actor. And so all of the singing and all of the dancing and all of the classwork kind of funnels through the basic idea that what 
what you need to do on a stage at any given moment is supported by your acting, your singing, and your your dancing. So, would Johnny Depp have gotten in the program? <laughs> <laughs> I actually uh, thought he did quite well. It depends <laughs> on whether we had seen Sweeney Todd first right. or not. That's right. Um, That's right. I, I will say also uh, the nice thing about our program, although I know it's not really your concentration in this program, but is that um, both the classical and musical theater students are getting that same emphasis on. Uh, acting, communication, stage skills, which I actually think in all the theater worlds in which singers are involved now is equally important. Yeah. I agree. Now, is there like any sort of rivalry between Tisch and Steinhardt? Uh, I, I know when I, w- I majored in, you know, in theater, and, sure. but I actually did most of my work at the Missoula Children's Theater. Um, they have a great community theater in Missoula in addition to all their touring companies that go around and because they did musicals, and, sure. and our, and our, our you know, theater department was very snobbish, of course, towards, <laughs> mm. towards musicals, like I, I think many are. And, and I'm wondering, is there that dynamic, or is there a lot of cooperation, or I, is I think there any interaction between the programs? There's really not interaction because um, we're such entirely separate entities. The Steinhardt School is one thing, the Tisch School is another. And also, the students are very clear, I think, when they come to one school or the other, do I want a Bachelor of Music degree or do I want a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Acting? And since that is the place they start, anyway, there's not really a sense of rivalry. Also, literally, the buildings are so far removed, <laughs> there isn't even overlap in the streets. So, right. I don't, if there is rivalry, it, it would never, it doesn't get to us. I mean, we, mm-hmm. um, I, I work a bit with the graduate music theater writing program over at the Tisch School. So, but that, but that is even more separate than the acting programs. I mean, everything is so. Split uh, up down there. Why are, isn't there more interaction? It seems like there is a lot to be gained, especially with your program, sure. maybe in collaboration. Well, with some the, of that writing graduate. program, you have started mm-hmm. to integrate some of the students from our program into the readings, right? right. We do a, uh, every year in the spring as part of a kind of a continuing commitment to not only to our commitment to new works, but to exposing our students to how to work on new material, new musicals. Um, we we go uh, to the Tisch Graduate Music Theater Writing Program where they are writing the next generation of musicals. Mm -hmm. And where they are in their writing process, they bring us a show and we actually produce the next phase of their of their project every spring. Again, that's the graduate degree, not the undergrad actors, but we use use our students and that show. So there is that kind of cross-school collaboration. It's a little harder to do when you've got two performance programs and each Mm -hmm. of the populations need their own their own set of performance opportunities and their own set of skills from right. two separate faculties. We're really trying to serve our Steinhardt students first, and right. beyond that, it's not really our focus. <laughs> What's the competition like to get into Steinhardt? What, what, if one of our listeners is looking at maybe applying for next year or something, what's, well, the, what's the process and how competitive is it? Uh, the process is getting more and more internet savvy, which is good because you can now apply and even apply for an audition online, which we like very much. Um, and I think uh, the competition is getting stiffer. Um, honestly, I think our our uh, acceptance rate is getting to be a smaller and smaller percentage of students that apply. How many do you, how many do you accept into the program? Uh, approximately 35 between both classical and musical theater. And I think we have easily easily 10 times that number of applicants a year. Sure, sure. This um, year we'll graduate 24 students in music theater. 
Now, is it solely talent, or what are the are the academic requirements also stiff like NYU? Um, coming in, they are. They are. You have to. You have to. At some point in the audition process, you have to sort of pass pass the NYU entrance requirement there with uh, with grades and and test scores and things like that uh, as a component uh, combined with the uh, with the audition. You know, because we're not a liberal, uh, pardon me, <clears throat> because we are a liberal arts school as opposed to just a conservatory, the advantage is you're getting a lot of training in other classes. You get your liberal arts component, which lots of moms and dads like a lot. <laughs> but also, it's a, you know, you're a product of everything you experience. So we get a greater breadth of student through that education. But at the same time, what you're talking about is true. They have to have an aptitude and a certain level of grades and everything to be able to handle that. So it is part of the, the audition process. Um, now, you got another show coming up here. We do. Opening February 8th. February 8th. Uh, maybe give, summarize this one in a nutshell for the people who aren't familiar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Floyd Collins. It's a nutshell. Yeah, it's 30 like, seconds or less. That's right. <laughs> uh, Floyd Collins is the story of a, um, of a rural Kentucky caver in 1925. Um, Floyd was an explorer of caves, and he went into – he was in the process of exploring a, a, a specific cave when, uh, when he was trapped uh, in the cave. The, the show deals with – his entrapment and then the subsequent rescue attempts, which uh, which unfortunately weren't successful. And this is, uh, the music's by Adam Gettle, book by Tina Landauer with extra lyrics by Tina Landauer. And um, right. of course, everyone probably knows Adam Gettle from his recent brilliant success, uh, <laughs> The Light in the Piazza. Certainly. Now, uh, Grant, you're going to play piano for us, and you got brought in a couple students here with you to sing a song for yeah. the, the show, correct? Sure do. Sure do. Two very talented uh, juniors, both on the music theater side of the program of vocal performance, Jay Johnson and Nick Rilo. Right. And what song are they going to do here? Daybreak. All right. Let's take a listen to this. Hi. I'm Nick Rilo. I play Homer. And I'm Jay Johnson. I play Floyd. Uh, this song is called Daybreak, and it happens on the second day of Floyd's entrapment. Homer, Floyd's brother, has come down into the cave for the first time and is there to try to calm Floyd down and take his mind off of his current situation. <laughs> so here we go. The house was quiet. Remember Floyd? We was all snoring and sleeping real sound. You came atop the hill, Floyd, like a monkey just a screeching and a leaping. You crazy loon, remember Floyd? Remember how you screamed? You hollered something about a cave. In our night clothes, we came a toddling out, and Miss Jane in that old sleeping bonnet, like a duck, she was waddling. Remember Floyd, remember how she looked, we was holding hands as you marched us across the field, it was a whole mess of stars that night as we enter in. The lights of the sky tie down Like still, like cool, like nightfall 
have each other's hands We have what we can picture That's all we need To pass the time Time inside has a way of flowing on Going on a wind It take itself a dive Time inside kind of puts me In a mind of when mama was alive When mama was alive No one even says a word We are happy dreaming We are And before we know it Daybreak is on That's how it's gonna be That I promise Long as you remember that from nightfall Today From sundown to dawn I'm staying here That's right You rest now Your baby brother's gonna get you through the night. Now, in our, in our conversations leading up to getting this interview and performance <laughs> together, um, I'm under the impression that Adam Gettle is at least somewhat following. What's, is he actually coming? Has he come in to meet the students? Uh, he or? hasn't. He's been very gracious with his time um, for, for us uh, on the production staff. Uh, he and I have talked at, at length. Um, and he's going to take a. He's going to come down uh, next week and visit with the students and watch a bit of rehearsal and and have a chance to work and interact with uh, with us in the process. He's been very very gracious. Yeah, that's, that's one great advantage. Certainly, of, of definitely being in the theater community. Certainly. Well, and being in New York, you can just <laughs> call up the guy and he can take a taxi down. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so you know, I, I, again, the last thing we you know talked about the vocal and the acting. My biggest surprise was, the, okay, the acting. That they were good actors surprised me. <laughs> the fact that they were really good dancers in in the production of Urine Town sure. that I saw blew me away. With when I saw this vocal performance, sure. <laughs> on the school. You know what's so nice is that we again going back to the idea of communication. What we what we believe very strongly is that when anybody moves on a stage, sings on a stage, or speaks on a stage, they do it because they have to. They do it because they're faced with a dramatic problem that they have to solve. And so as you go about the production process, no matter what component you're dealing with, as long as you are always funneling everything through that basic idea, then then the dance comes from that. We also have some terrific terrific choreographers and musical stagers that that come down and join us for, for our productions as well. I have to say, too, that one of the things that the heads of our program insist upon is communication amongst the faculty and amongst the production staffs. Um, because when we're communicating, we're collaborating. The collaboration of idea really comes across to the students so that we're all supporting each other's uh, visions. As a music director, I'm in contact with their voice teachers to make sure that I am actually supporting what the voice teacher wants 
done. I can't say, honey, I need you to do this and this and this, when it's <laughs> way beyond what's possible in their process. So it's, it's a great advantage when we're on this, all on the same page. I actually think it contributes to a, a much clearer vision on the stage because it's, it's following through all of their classwork, their lessons, and it's all coming to fruition in, in the, the potential of the the performance. It all kind of goes back to that rivalry thing that you were talking about, Michael. It's um, we we have uh, we've created an environment down there um, that that allows everybody that works with the various components of the students um, to feel comfortable and safe and supportive and uh, involved in the education of the students. So there is never any the acting teacher wants this and the voice teacher wants that, and there's <laughs> not there's none of that. Uh, there's none of that conflict. We we get together in the same room and, and we all discover that what we're all wanting is the same exact thing for mm-hmm. the students. And with a student body of, are we about 160, John? 160. 100, we really know every single student in the whole program. So there is truly individual uh, attention and knowledge with the with each student in our program. It's not It's not a great huge, huge program that's unwieldy where people in the faculty don't know what's going on individually. And that, again, helps to hopefully uh, come up with the product you're talking about. Right. Now, I, I know, for instance, Tisch, you know, theoretically, when they when they have the students are enrolled in the Tisch uh, school drama, they like to keep the students kind of protected in the cocoon to experiment, but they don't really like them to go out and participate Certainly. in the, the outside theater world in New York while they're in school. What's the Steinhardt's position on that? Do you, do you also kind of take that same keep everything close-knit and approach and safe, or do, are the students allowed to go out and also... You know, to participate in various sure. other. Well, we, there isn't any kind of hard and fast rule that we make for that. I mean, I, the easy answer is that it's a it's an individual process. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have lots of our students that that need the kind of focused concentration on what their training is doing for them, and so to uh, mm-hmm. to have them out performing professionally is is going to be counterproductive to their academic work and to their to laying a foundation that will last them a whole entire lifetime. There are many, many others that are that come come in with a set of skills and their their work process with their individual voice teachers and faculty is is quite different and at any given moment they're they're uh, they're out there performing and and all is going well. I would say case by case mm-hmm. is, is I, the I easiest think, way to say that. I do think there's <clears throat> we're a faculty made up of professional performers who also uh, work in the professional world out right. there when we were not at NYU. So it's we can sometimes help them assess is this a career building uh, potential you've got. If they're given a role in some tour or on you know, show, something like that, it's easy for us to say you know, let us help you make this decision because there is a moment when you say, you know what? Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> I, you don't need to be finishing your junior year right now if you've got that opportunity. On the other hand, there's times when you say, you know, an opportunity like that's going to come along every day the second you graduate. Certainly. So the nicest thing is I think there's a um, – we're all still working musicians in the profession – or pardon me, not just musicians. <laughs> working uh, working staff members. Anyway. John's and, not a musician. Yeah, right? Actually, <laughs> I have to say it's a joy to work with him in that capacity because he, he really is. But uh, no, I mean that's, that's the advantage of having a, people who are still very much with their fingers in the pies of the professional world because I think we have a good idea of a assessing 
and helping at least give input to the students sure. in a, in that kind of moment. We had a situation a few years ago with a student who booked who booked Les Mis before she uh, Les Mis on Broadway before she left school, and she that was an opportunity that all of us thought was a great idea for her, and she was more than ready. And so <laughs> we everybody kind of jumped in and helped her figure out how she could both finish the degree and begin her rehearsals for her Broadway show. So mm-hmm. that's always uh, the irony of that is that she then worked. Uh, on the light in the piazza with Mr. Gettle right. on, on the on the tour, so, <laughs> yeah. so it all comes She's full weird. circle there. <laughs> kind of that career, after, like I, I, I saw actors that were definitely, you know, prepared and well rounded on the stage. The only downside I would say is you know that many roles really out there in the musical theater world are definitely older, and, and you're you're a BFA program, so your students come out, you know, twenty one, twenty two. They're still pretty young. In a, in a lot of ways, what do you see as for your students after they graduate, what is kind of like their next career trajectory on an average? And I mean, I know you have probably some people who get some like big things right away. Sure. But professionally, when they graduate, what are like the the biggest opportunities that are out there for them? Well, we offer them a we offer them an industry showcase, like lots of. Uh, it doesn't have to be associated do. with you. I'm sure. Kind of like, and not just your program. Really. Certainly, this mm-hmm. would be then really applied to any student who's just coming out coming of out. a drama program and they're young still. What are some of the best opportunities out there? I think in on the in music theater the the um, commercial music theater industry is uh, continuing to get younger and younger and younger. Uh, so sure. I, I think the opportunities uh, exist even more today than they did uh, when when we were coming out of school. But um, for many of them, they will they'll come out and they'll look for an agent, and their agent will begin to take over the kind of advisory role in their career. And so whether that includes. Uh, um, a non-equity tour that leads to um, a regional production that gets in their equity card, and then you know a lot of them, a lot of people follow that kind of stepping stone. And the other side of that, that I watch a lot of uh, of young people right out of college do is is kind of sink their teeth into new work. And so they're they're working whatever jobs they need to work here in the city to to be able to work on new developing projects. And then something like Spring Awakening, which had a whole cast full of those kind of people, yeah. hits big, and now their now their careers are kind of caught off and running there. So is the whole department going to be? I want to be this in Spring Awakening when I graduate. I want to be this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, not necessarily. It's it, what's very interesting to me about. Uh, the students in our program is hopefully if we've given them a, a, a bag full of tools to take away is how diverse their interests are. Um, some people, you know, are bound and determined to finish this music degree and then say, you know, I want to be in straight acting or I want to be in the behind the scenes mm-hmm. uh, area of this business. It's interesting. Sometimes we, we work through all the performance aspect and, and it comes clear that, in fact, that's not what they want to do. But they've been around um, the process of it for long enough that they kind of get a taste for the interest. John is so great about bringing in many different kinds of professionals from uh, the New York community, not just performers, so that students kind of get to see <laughs> the different uh, possibilities for them, even if it's not performance. I mean, I will say 99% sure. I think are you can, going you can for sell performance. sell peanuts at <laughs> the concession <laughs> stand. You could, you could. It's not our goal for our graduates, but if they did, I'll tell you, the commitment to that peanut selling would be awesome. Those NYU loans would take a long time <laughs> to pay back. Yeah. 
All right. So, um, <laughs> do things to wrap up. Uh, for what is the is there still time to apply to the program for next year? If people are if people are listening right now, or or are they now looking at 2010? I think you're you're right on the edge of it. Um, yeah. there, there's the possibility. It's always uh, best to sort of be applying as early in the process as, as possible. Most most universities, and I'll just speak for all of them, probably want <laughs> you to apply to things and be auditioning before March 1st. Um, truth is, that's when all the money is given out in these programs. Right, right. But uh, it's there's always time. There's always the possibility. Uh, well, this is going out on January 24th, mm-hmm. so... Like, if they listen right away and, like, get online and hop and sign up, there's still, there's still time to go. Call us. Certainly. <laughs> Call us immediately. Certainly. <laughs> and, uh, Say Michael Gilbo sent you. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Like, exactly. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Floyd Collins, if people are in New York and want to catch uh, an, an example of what, you know, the production, I, I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, I've, I've seen two other productions that I've enjoyed there. And what do they have to, where do they go? Uh, Floyd Collins runs February 8th through the 17th at the Frederick Lowe Theater on uh, West 4th Street and for all kinds of information. Is that the really big one that Everyone Town was in? Yes, it is. The same one. It's a a lovely space. It's a lovely space. Um, uh, 212-998-5281 would give you all the information you need on uh, Floyd Collins and how to get tickets. A phone number? That's right. That's right. No internet? That's right. (laughs) That's actually where, yeah, the phone phone number is truly the best way. (laughs) And certainly there'll be tickets at the door, um, but that's that's kind of the best way to the best way to do it. And on February tenth, on the Sunday afternoon performance after our three p.m. show, we're actually having uh, Roger Brucker give a talk back. Roger Brucker is the gentleman who wrote the book Trapped, the, the Floyd book. Collins story. That's mm-hmm. right, the kind of the the uh, the definitive book on uh, on Floyd Collins from, uh, and his ordeal. Yeah, coming up, coming up to uh, be around our show a little bit. So. All right. Well, John Simpkins and Grant Wienis, I'm so glad you're able to come down and chat with us. I, Thanks. I, I wish the best of luck in the Floyd Collins production. And Thanks, uh, Michael. Keep your enthusiasm going with the, the Steinhardt School of Vocal Performance. Thanks very Thanks, much. Okay. Also, if you want to see a little bit more on our video player that we have on our website at broadwaybullet.com, we captured the, those guys' performance on video so you can watch them singing that in the studio. Top of the trades. Oscar time has come again. Whether they will air this year or not, the nominations are in for Best Picture Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton, No Country for Old Men, and There Will Be Blood. Okay, I like Juno. Good movie. Best Picture? Over Sweeney Todd? I'm a little upset there. Though I am thrilled that Falling Slowly was nominated for Best Song from Once. If you haven't heard of Once yet, little indie movie, it's a, it's a great, it's, an, it's a musical. It really is. It's a, a different sort of one, but lots of music, and it really relates to the characters and the story. Uh, so that's Once, possibly the worst title in history, but... Definitely not the worst movie. I really recommend you check it out on DVD now. Also, Best Actor nominations, George Clooney, Daniel Day-Lewis, Johnny Depp. Okay, admit it. He brought a lot of a lot of relatability to Sweeney Todd. I actually, despite his lack of an operatic voice, I think that was a plus. I, I really got into it. Um, Viggo Mortensen and Tommy Lee Jones. Best Actress, Kate Blanchett, Julie Christie, Laura Linney, one of my faves, Ellen Page, and Marion Cotillard. Best Director, Paul Thomas Anderson, Joel and Ethan Cohen, Tony Gilroy, Jason Reitman, and Julian Schnabel. Like you hadn't heard that news already. 
Broadway Bears is back with Brian Batt of Mad Men as its host. The fundraiser for Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS is in its 11th year of making Broadway-fashioned teddy bears. The event will kick off at 6 p.m. with a private VIP reception and viewing of this season's bears, followed by the 7 p.m. opening to general admission tickets. The auction will begin at 8 p.m. with auctioneer Lorna Kelly. The Weinstein Company worked out a special contract with the Writers Guild of America so work could resume on the movie version of Nine. The film, to be directed by Chicago director Rob Marshall, was put to a halt when the writer's strike happened. The script was penned by Michael Tolkien and is now being polished and readied for filming by Anthony Minghella. Ah, sounds interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. We'll bring you the best in theater news next episode in Top of the Trade, sponsored by BroadwayWorld.com. Broadway World is your home for all theater news and community. Oh, yeah, and soon, internet radio for theater music. (laughs) I promised that thing would be up and running by the beginning of December. Little did I know. Should have been a simple project, but literally everything that could have gone wrong has. But... I think it's going to be up and running within a week or so, uh, fingers crossed, but it's it's looking good, and, and we should finally have a stable, steady station. You're going to be able to request songs, rate them, and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'm putting that together. Like I said, burning way too many candles. Listening Room. Well, if you're into musicals, this next thing should be exciting to you. Passing Strange was one of the most lauded musicals of the season last year when it was at the public. Uh, you know, they were going to try to do a performance, but they it was too big to work out. They said it just didn't work piano vocals. So uh, now that it's heading to Broadway, we got a great thing. We were invited to an open rehearsal and allowed to record off the board what they were doing. And uh, the result is 25 minutes here of a musical preview from the thing. Now, some of the actors weren't mic'd. So there's a couple things where they're kind of quiet in the background. But I still think uh, the music comes off pretty good and gives you a nice taste of what's coming up. It's going to be open, uh, not opening, but performances begin on February 8th at the Belasco Theater. And you can find out more at PassingStrangeOnBroadway.com. So uh, now check out our little uh, creme de la creme icing on the cake here, the, the music from Passing Strange. I should add that we also caught video footage from this, and we're we're currently editing this and hope to have uh, two clips from that up on our video player by the end of the weekend. Be on the lookout for that, BroadwayBullet.com. Every Sunday she pushed him, but he never wanted to go. Every Sunday he listened, but he never wanted to know. The shared truth that dwelled below, man. Who can handle the pressure of this Baptist fashion show? Now the church on Adams Boulevard is usually a bore. The ladies wave fans and the old men snore. The kids cut up on cue in the very back pew. The Holy Ghost ain't been here since 1972. They got real estate, college funds, jobs with benefits, homeowners, debutantes. Look, everybody's sharp. Ain't not one head nappy, but it's been a long time since you should have with their judgment alive. And they all just realized. 14 years old and still ain't been baptized. Now, just as he thought, a nightmare come true 
in his conviction turned to ice in that chilly church view. His conviction turned to ice in that chilly church view. He saw the brown-skinned ladies in their oversized crowns and the jet black beacons with those don't you do that frowns and the high yellow girls in their skin-tight gowns. A collection of verbs disguised as nouns. Every Sunday she pushed him, but he never wanted to go. Every Sunday he listened, but he never wanted to know. Too bad they never talked about the shared truth that dwelt below, man. Who could handle the pressure of this Baptist fashion show? Listening is waiting. Listening is waiting. The whole congregation was listening and waiting to be released from its collective frown. Even the bad kids. Are we still going or what? congregation was listening and waiting to be released from its collective frown. <clears throat> Even the bad kids in the back pew were wondering. Now some said, Lord, please lead us, correct us, and lead us to higher ground. And then I'll ask the very same question. The chilly church pews got suddenly warm. The notes of the music began to swarm, and then bridges of spirit began to form, subjecting and connecting everyone to what they needed to feel. This is how church made way for the real, waiting and vibrating for more than Christ's sake. As the organ started doing that earthquake shape, where it sounded like the speakers are starting to break, and time itself slipped in earth's crack. And Mrs. Kelso's getting happy! Mrs. Kelso's getting happy! She keeps hitting you in the back! And Mr. Franklin played piano like he was mad at it till it started to hum! And the church was getting bad at it like a stained glass drum! Like a stained glass drum! Like a stained glass drum! And then the mystery of life was on its way to get solved! Don't look now, church. I think the real's getting involved. And then something strange happened. Something that's never happened in this church. And then the right Reverend Jones revved up and started banging the pulpit like a conga drum. And his screams cut through the organ swell. Like a bolt of sonic lightning, and then it struck. I said, I'm going to tell you all a story about Apostle Paul. Up and down that fretboard like it was the road to Damascus. Where you headed, Pilgrim? 
If you don't know the way, you better ask You us. better ask somebody. It was a mind yeah. expanding yeah. revelation, yeah. revelation, yeah. revelation, yeah. revelation, yeah. revelation. Yeah. revelation. Yeah. Soul just follows the melody's path, looks back, a 
says, thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you for this fugue. And it just is and is and is and is so much that whether you get it or not, it's God. Oh, Adams and Crenshaw is beautiful and they are laughing in the sun and they parachute into church so they can sing before practice is done when they the Holy Ghost creeping up slowly and suddenly there is meaning Arlington Hill helped him see everything yes suddenly there is meaning and everything's all Everything's all right. Everything's all right. Everything's all right. Is it all right now? Is it all right?
That was music and lyrics by Stu. Yeah, one word, like Madonna, except for it's like uh, something you eat for a hearty meal. And I'd say it sounds like it is going to be a hearty meal. Again, that'll be performances beginning the 8th of February at the Belasco Theater. Go to PassingStrangeOnBroadway.com for more info. Curtain Call. Actor Heath Ledger died on Tuesday, January 22nd, 2008 in New York City. Authorities have not stated the cause of death, but have narrowed the down to accidental overdose or suicide. Heath Ledger, originally of Perth, Australia, is the Joker in this summer's The Dark Knight, as well as credits such as 10 Things I Hate About You, Brokeback Mountain, for which he was nominated for Best Actor at the Academy Awards, and A Knight's Tale. Also, hot off the press, uh, this probably should have been in the call board, but uh, it just literally came in my box right now, and I wanted to let you guys know about the opportunity. John Chatterton, who's quite involved in the New York theater scene here. Uh, I don't know if he's looking personally or if he's helping hook somebody up, but uh, they're looking for a lyricist and composer for a new African-American musical. They must be well-versed in gospel, blues, soul, and show music. Uh, email queries with resume to jchatter, that's J-C-H-A-T-T-E-R, at O-O-B-R dot com. We'll be back with another extra-long, double-stuffed episode, like we're going twice a month now, the second and fourth Thursday of every month, so you can look for the next episode on February 7th. Until then, keep the stage lights on. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. Actually, the bar faith thing comes from my whole life. People just going vulture, bottler. So it didn't take much, though, when he uh, proposed. I said yes. It's fun to know that those lines will stay in the show when other actors do it in the future. 
the hairs went up on the back of my neck. It was a thrilling moment. with the audience and explore them a little bit. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.